PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to PTJ's The Bottom Line for August 2009. I'm Donovan Stutel along with Dave Carvoisier. Bottom Lines translate the findings of selected research articles for clinical practice. Bottom Lines are not intended to substitute for a critical reading of the original articles. Our first bottom line summarizes Assessment of the Quality of Cost Analysis Literature in Physical Therapy by Laura Peterson, Dr. Clifford Goodman, Aaron Carnes, Charlene Chen, and J. Amanda Schwartz. First, what problems did the researchers set out to study and why? Healthcare policymakers increasingly call for information about the economic benefit of various services. To date, no studies on the quality of cost analysis literature in physical therapy have been performed. To that end, the researchers set out to identify and rate the quality of cost analysis literature and to report summary findings from these articles. Who participated in this study? The primary research group and a group of senior staff reviewers at the American Physical Therapy Association, APTA, worked together to identify studies for inclusion. The primary research team then rated the studies and summarized the findings from the body of in-scope cost analysis research literature. What new information does this study offer? The quality of cost analysis literature in physical therapy is very good although the body of this literature is small. The investigators found that physical therapy was demonstrated to be cost-effective in nearly two-thirds of the studies examined. What new information does this study offer for patients? Evidence about the quality of cost-effectiveness research can help guide policymakers as they make decisions about the delivery of health care. This information ultimately benefits consumers of health care as patients are likely to reap the reward of more cost-effective interventions. How did the researchers go about the study? The researchers performed a targeted literature review to identify in-scope articles. Eligible articles were then sent to APTA reviewers to determine their inclusion or exclusion based on prospectively established criteria. A total of 95 articles were included in the analysis, and they were subsequently evaluated for quality using the Quality of Health Economic Studies instrument. Findings from the included studies were summarized. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? The results of this study provide an improved awareness of the quality of cost analysis literature in the physical therapy profession. This awareness of the strengths and limitations of this body of literature can provide guidance for conducting future high-quality research in this area. This study provides evidence to policymakers in support of the cost-effectiveness of physical therapy interventions. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? The body of literature analyzed was small, which limits the ability to generalize these findings. Additionally, as acknowledged by the authors, there was a potential for bias through the utilization of APTA reviewers. The reviewers and individuals who scored the studies were not economic experts. Further research is needed to investigate the cost-effectiveness of specific physical therapy interventions with respect to condition. This bottom line was written by Dr. Eric Robertson, Assistant Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta, Georgia. The next bottom line summarizes 
screening for elevated levels of fear avoidance beliefs regarding work or physical activities in people receiving outpatient therapy by Dr. Dennis Hart, Mark Wernicke, Dr. Stephen George, Dr. James Matheson, Dr. Ying-Chi Wang, Dr. Karen Cook, Jerome Meduski, and Dr. Sung Choi. What problems did the researchers set out to study, and why? Fear avoidance beliefs have been identified as a particularly important psychosocial factor for individuals with low back pain. Elevated fear avoidance beliefs have been related to a greater likelihood of developing chronic pain and prolonged disability. Research has suggested that screening for the presence of elevated fear avoidance beliefs may be useful in identifying patients who are at risk and for altering the patient management strategy to improve the likelihood of a successful clinical outcome. The Fear Avoidance Beliefs Questionnaire, or FABQ, is a 16-item questionnaire that has been used in research as a screening tool for elevated fear avoidance beliefs. The authors of this study contend that a barrier to adoption of the FABQ as a screening procedure in routine clinical practice is the burden of collecting these data or difficulty in interpreting the results. This study applied item response theory to identify the FABQ items that can be used most accurately and efficiently to screen for elevated fear avoidance beliefs. Who participated in this study? The study examined data in an electronic outcomes database that were collected from more than 17,800 patients with a variety of neuromusculoskeletal conditions who were evaluated in outpatient clinics across the United States. All of the patients included in the analysis completed at least part of the FABQ. 22% of the patients completed the entire FABQ. The mean age of patients included in the analysis was 50 years. 61% of patients were female, and 95% of the patients were being seen for orthopedic conditions. What new information does this study offer? The item response theory procedures identified single items from the original 16-item FABQ that could be used to screen for elevated fear avoidance beliefs related to physical activity and work regardless of the patient's clinical conditions. These single items were accurate in predicting whether the patient had high or low fear avoidance beliefs based on the score from the original FABQ. How did the researchers go about the study? Patients seen in participating outpatient physical therapy clinics with partial or complete FABQ scores were analyzed. Additional patient data were collected, including age, sex, clinical condition, chronicity, and surgical status. Only data from the patient's initial examination were used. Outcomes of care and process-related variables were not examined, including number of visits, length of stay, and so on. The individual items from the FABQ were subjected to item response theory analyses that resulted in the identification of single items with the highest degree of accuracy as screening questions. Receiver operating characteristic curves were used to describe the accuracy of the single items in identifying patients with high or low fear avoidance beliefs based on a median split of the results from the original scores from the entire FABQ. The single item with the greatest accuracy in identifying high fear avoidance beliefs about physical activity asks the patient the extent to which he or she agrees with the statement I should not do physical activities which might make my pain worse. 
The item most accurate for identifying high fear avoidance beliefs about work asks the patient the extent to which he or she agrees with the statement, I should not do my normal work with my present pain. These single items were able to correctly classify 91% or 92% of the patients based on the original scores from the full FABQ subscales. How might these results be applied to physical therapist practice? The results of this study support the potential usefulness of single items to identify high levels of fear avoidance beliefs in patients attending outpatient physical therapy across a wide range of clinical or demographic groupings. Accurate and efficient identification of patients at risk for poor recovery due to elevated fear avoidance beliefs may provide an opportunity to modify the treatment plan to address these maladaptive beliefs. What are the limitations of the study? And what further research is needed? This study has several important limitations. The researchers had no control over the input of data into the database, and the completeness of the data collected is a common concern with retrospective studies. The decision of the therapist to ask a patient to complete the FABQ is not likely to be a random process and may reflect the bias of the therapist to collect this information on patients perceived to be at risk for elevated fear avoidance beliefs. This may be particularly evident in the small percentage of the overall sample that completed the work subscale of the FABQ. Another limitation was the use of a median split of the original FABQ scores to define patients with high versus low fear avoidance beliefs. The accuracy of the single items was judged against this median split definition of high fear avoidance beliefs, making the median split definition a gold standard for patients at risk due to elevated fear avoidance beliefs. It is likely that a smaller proportion of patients scoring at the higher end of the FABQ scales are actually those at risk for poor recovery. All studies that seek to identify diagnostic or screening tests require replication and validation in different groups of patients. An important research priority is identifying efficient and accurate screening tools applicable to most, if not all, patients encountered in outpatient physical therapy. This research priority has the potential to improve clinical outcomes for a subgroup of patients with a poor prognosis due to the presence of elevated fear avoidance beliefs. This bottom line was written by Dr. Julie Fritz, Associate Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Utah and Clinical Outcomes Research Scientist for Intermountain Healthcare, both in Salt Lake City, Utah. Our next bottom line summarizes a controlled examination of medical and psychosocial factors associated with low back pain in combination with widespread musculoskeletal pain by Dr. Martin Friedrich, Julia Hahn, and Dr. Florian Vepner. What problems did the researchers set out to study and why? The aim of the study was to identify patterns of variables associated with widespread musculoskeletal pain and chronic low back pain. Despite an increased research focus on these two disorders, little is known about chronic low back pain in combination with widespread musculoskeletal pain, limiting clinicians' ability to diagnose, treat, and understand the mechanisms underlying these conditions. Who participated in this study? 
three groups of individuals participated in the study. 97 individuals with chronic low back pain and widespread musculoskeletal pain, 97 individuals without any musculoskeletal pain, and 52 individuals with chronic low back pain but without widespread musculoskeletal pain. The mean age of the participants was 42.9 years and 76% were women. The main criterion used to determine the patient group assignment was a pain topography drawing. What new information does this study offer? The analysis identified a large number of significant interacting variables, including physical and psychosocial factors, that may help classify the problems that patients with chronic low back pain and widespread musculoskeletal pain have. These factors included income level, depression, anxiety, fear avoidance, endurance capacity, balance capacity, high disability, and number of treatments. The following factors may alert clinicians to the presence of widespread musculoskeletal pain, high fear avoidance behavior, high disability, and a large number of treatments. What new information does this study offer for patients? The information from this study can help identify patient factors that may be associated with the combination of widespread musculoskeletal pain and chronic low back pain. Early detection of these factors may be important to preventing and treating these conditions. How did the researchers go about the study? The researchers measured a total of 74 variables for individuals in all three groups. A logistic regression analysis was performed to measure the strength of associations between variables selected with a univariate analysis. How might these results be applied to physical therapist practice? The results from this trial suggest that physical therapists should routinely screen patients with chronic low back pain for physical and psychosocial factors, including high disability, fear avoidance, and number of treatments. Doing so may allow earlier intervention in the disease process. Furthermore, due to similarities between the conditions, these results may also apply to individuals with fibromyalgia or myofascial pain. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? The participants may have experienced recall errors when answering questions. In addition, some variables that were part of the testing for some groups were not used with the group with chronic low back pain only. Future research should appreciate the multidimensional aspects of chronic low back pain and widespread musculoskeletal pain and work to develop time-based intervention strategies for the factors associated in this study. This bottom line was written by Dr. Eric Robertson. Our final bottom line this month summarizes physical therapists' attitudes, knowledge, and practice approaches regarding people who are obese. By Suzanne Sack, Dr. Diane Ragasio-Radler, Dr. Kathleen Myrella, Dr. Reva Tauger-Decker, and Dr. Hafiz Khan. What problems did the researchers set out to study, and why? Given a reported paucity of information on physical therapists' attitudes toward patients with obesity, the authors wanted to provide information on whether PTs have negative attitudes toward individuals who are obese. The authors noted that negative attitudes about individuals who are overweight have been documented in surveys of physicians, nurses, psychologists, medical students, and exercise science students. 
they hypothesized that they would find no relationship between the attitudes of PTs towards patients who are obese and the PT's knowledge of obesity. The number of individuals in the United States with a body mass index greater than 40, which is categorized as clinically severe, is increasing faster than those with moderate or lower levels of obesity. In selecting this line of study, the authors highlighted the importance of obesity both to an individual's health and to the fiscal health of the healthcare system, and the need to have a physical therapist workforce able to provide effective treatment strategies. Who participated in this study? Participants in this study were respondents to a mail survey. The survey was sent to 1,000 randomly selected U.S. physical therapists who were APTA members in 2007. The usable response rate was 34%, exceeding the 30% that the authors estimated would be needed to allow for an alpha value of 0.05, indicating the confidence in the results. What new information does this study offer? Based on answers to survey questions that were coded along a continuum from Most negative to most positive, the researchers determined that the respondents were neutral, that is, not generally attributing negative or positive characteristics to individuals who are obese. However, although the respondents were able to identify the important concepts relative to the cause and treatment of obesity, nutrition, and activity level, They did not routinely provide recommendations to individuals who are obese about a plan for activity, nor did they refer patients to other providers to address nutrition. A related finding was that although about 61% of the respondents recognized an obligation to educate individuals with obesity on health risks, only 20% felt competent to provide weight loss interventions. What new information does this study offer for patients? Individuals who are obese need to be aware of the extent to which obesity affects their health, and to know that physical activity and nutrition changes, perhaps with nutrition counseling, can be an effective intervention. This study indicates that when seeking the services of a PT, patients with obesity should inquire about the extent of the PT's experience working in this area. How did the researchers go about this study? A survey used to ascertain physician attitudes relative to obesity was modified for physical therapists. The survey addressed four domains: one, attitudes toward causes of obesity; two, attributes of people who are obese; three, efficacy of treatments; and four, weight loss outcomes. A fifth dimension was added: knowledge and practice approaches. That are within the scope of practice of physical therapists. How might the results be applied to physical therapist practice? PTs might routinely measure body mass index and waist circumference to gain a better understanding of the population that they serve. PTs also could look at referral patterns, if any, for patients who are obese. On consideration of their knowledge in this area. PTs might consider obtaining education on the cause of obesity and on effective interventions and referral practices in this area. What are the limitations of the study, and what further research is needed? The survey was based on a non-validated survey used for physicians that was further modified to address the scope of practice for physical therapists. Therefore, the validity of all results can be questioned.
the authors note a lack of research in this area relative to physical therapists. Therefore, further study to validate and clarify the results of this study could be useful. Additional research could address the need to identify, counsel, and appropriately refer individuals who are obese. The authors indicate that provider attitudes may discourage these individuals from seeking health care. However, there is no evidence at this time to attribute this to PTs. Additional information on access and utilization of services by this population is needed. This bottom line was written by Dr. Lisa Culver, Associate Director in the Department of Practice at APTA Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.